witch, may we burn her? Burn her! Who do you know she is a witch? She looks like one! Bring her forward. Not a witch, I'm not a witch. But you are dressed as one. They dressed me up like this. <laughs> and this isn't my nose, it's a false one. Well? Well, we did do the nose. The nose? And the hat. But she is a witch. The really exciting and frustrating thing about the word witch is that it has four different meanings at the present day, two of which are very old and two of which are relatively modern. The really old meanings are that a witch is somebody who uses magic to hurt other people, to kill them or distress them. And that a witch is somebody who uses magic for any purpose, good or bad. People who use it in that way often distinguish by saying that people who use it for bad purposes are bad or black witches, and those who use it for good purposes are good or white witches. And the two modern definitions are that a witch is uh, basically a feminist, uh, a feisty, independent woman with skills and uh, abilities which make men jealous and so she's persecuted. And that has the truth that the witch is one of the very few images of independent female power that traditional society gives us. And the last definition is that a witch is a practitioner of a nature-based pagan religion, of a goddess and a horned god of uh, the wild. Those last two have been around for a couple of hundred years. They're only relatively new. public interest in witchcraft is one of those curious features of life today. But it's very difficult to get at the truth of what it's all about. On one estimate, there are 30,000 people practicing in witchcraft in this country alone. A more conservative figure would be 8,000. But even so, it's enough to make you think. Are there really dangers involved, or is it all just a delusion? And if it is just a delusion, why do so many really quite intelligent people half believe in it? Just what has been going on in this country since the last of the witchcraft laws was repealed in 
I'm thinking back on all the times I've affectionately been called a witch, and as yet I've not openly identified as one. I don't have a coven, but I do have a cat. I have an altar. I read the tarot and follow the moon cycles. And I deeply believe in the magical act of having a bath with herbs and salts, allowing all my anxieties to drain down the plug hole with the bath water. So what can the figure of the witch present to us today? There's a historical image she carries pain, persecution, darkness, fear, mystery and struggle, and yet now she can represent freedom, hope, positive feminine power and positive power for all genders. As a magical figure, she calls an agency for transformation and change. And as a creative figure, she is an inspiration and an image of enigmatic beauty. This first episode of A Common Craft is based around healing and healers and ideas around reconnection. How can the witch help us to heal ourselves, our land and our communities and show us the magic in the everyday? definitions of a witch until the 19th century, when really after the French Revolution, all the traditional European ways of thinking come up for review, and especially among the radicals of the 19th century, the witch became reinterpreted as uh, a freedom fighter, a feminist, a nature lover. So really a lot of the views of the witch since about 1800 have been positive. Melisi. Caridwen. Mother. Bride. Dana. Behold. Behold. Daughter. Ariandrod. Dana. Virgin. Lysis. Diana. Chrome. Artemis. Astati. Wisdom. Artemis. Daughter. Ariandrod. Caridwen. Virgin. The Mythfi Legend A widow who had an only son was obliged, in consequence of the large flocks she possessed, to send, under the care of her son, a portion of her cattle to graze on the black mountain near a small lake called Hrini van Bach. One day the son perceived to his great astonishment a most beautiful creature with flowing hair sitting on the unruffled surface of the lake, combing her tresses, the water serving as a mirror. Suddenly, she beheld the young man standing on the brink of the lake with his eyes riveted on her and unconsciously offering to herself the provision of barley bread and cheese with which he had been provided when he left his home. Bewildered by a feeling of love and admiration for the object before him, he continued to hold out his hand towards the lady, who imperceptibly glided near to him but gently refused the offer of his provisions. He attempted to touch her, but she eluded his grasp, saying, Hard-baked is thy bread, it is not easy to catch me. 
She immediately dived under the water and disappeared, leaving the love-stricken youth to return home, a prey to disappointment and regret, that he had been unable to make further acquaintance with the lovely maiden with whom he had desperately fallen in love. On his return home, he communicated to his mother the extraordinary vision. She advised him to take some unbaked dough the next time in his pocket, as there must have been some spell connected with the hard-baked bread which prevented his catching the lady. Next morning, before the sun was up, the young man was at the lake, not for the purpose of looking after cattle, but that he might again witness the enchanting vision of the previous day. In vain did he glance over the surface of the lake. Nothing met his view save the ripples occasioned by a stiff breeze and a dark cloud hung heavily on the summit of the van. Hours passed on, the wind was hushed, the overhanging clouds had vanished, when the youth was startled by seeing some of his mother's cattle on the precipitous side of the acclivity, nearly on the opposite side of the lake. As he was hastening away to rescue them from their perilous position, the object of his search again appeared to him and seemed much more beautiful than when he first beheld her. His hand was again held out to her, full of unbaked bread, which he offered to her with an urgent proffer of his heart also and vows of eternal attachment, all of which were refused by her, saying, Unbaked is thy bread, I will not have thee. But the smiles that played upon her features as the lady vanished beneath the waters forbade him to despair and cheered him on his way home. His aged parent was acquainted with his ill success and she suggested that his bread should the next time be but slightly baked as most likely to please the mysterious being. Impelled by love, the youth left his mother's home early next morning. He was soon near the margin of the lake, impatiently awaiting the reappearance of the lady. The sheep and goats browsed on the precipitous sides of the van, the cattle strayed amongst the rocks, rain and sunshine came and passed away, unheeded by the youth, who was wrapped up in looking for the appearance of her who had stolen his heart. The sun was verging towards the west, and the young man, casting a sad look over the waters ere departing homewards, was astonished to see several cows walking along its surface. And what was more pleasing to his sight, the maiden reappeared even lovelier than ever. She approached the land and he rushed to meet her in the water. A smile encouraged him to seize her hand and she accepted the moderately baked bread he offered her and after some persuasion she consented to become his wife on condition that they should live together until she received from him three blows without a cause. When, should he ever happen to strike her three such blows, she would leave him forever. These conditions were readily and joyfully accepted. We are whirling. 
through space, drifting toward eternity. Mystical sparks encircled by loneliness and cold darkness. Are you afraid? So are a lot of other people. One of the reasons witchcraft has survived through the ages is because man's need to coerce destiny and subdue the fear within has never subsided. Witchcraft. Paganism and witchcraft overlap at the present day, but they're not the same. Paganism is uh, a complex of religions, old and new, that centre on the deities of pre-Christian Europe and the Near East. And uh, a witch today is somebody who practises magic. A pagan who practises magic can call herself or himself a witch. Across the world, different groups of human beings have had different views of magic. So within uh, the same small group of Pacific Islands, you can find peoples who really fear magic and believe that women are especially likely to be bad witches. Those who really fear magic can think that men are most likely to be bad witches and those who don't fear it at all. And they're kind of, they kind of make a patchwork quilt with each other across the surface of the planet. Not so much a matter of witches being accepted yeah. as uh, people not fearing witches. Right. Uh, and that's what you might call the Celtic-speaking parts, the British Isles, Ireland, Wales, Gaelic Scotland, the Isle of Man, where uh, fairies, land spirits, have been feared for the kinds of things blamed on human beings elsewhere, like blighting people and giving them diseases and uh, getting rid of their children and things like that. But the problem of semantics is that people who have either disliked magic or haven't believed in it before 1800 tended to cause anybody who practiced, tended to call anybody who practiced magic a witch. Uh, whereas people who believed in magic called good magicians, wise folk, cunning folk, uh, pellers, dunhusbadai, a range of local terms, but not witches. You don't believe in witchcraft, do you? Do I believe in witchcraft? What kind of witchcraft? The legendary witch that rides on the imaginary broom, the hex that tortures the thoughts of the victim, the pin stuck in the image that wastes away the mind and the body. Also imaginary. But where does imagination end and reality begin? What is this twilight, this half-world of the mind that you profess to know so much about? How can we differentiate between the powers of darkness and the powers of the mind? First, I'm an Italian woman and uh, Sicilian because we we have like Vulcano in the blood because we live close to Etna. So that is important for me. And 
I am a Dayani priestess. I've been ordained into the Dayani tradition in, I think it was 2014. And the Dayani tradition is like a spiritual path that is uh, female-centered and the work with female witchcraft and female empowerment and is also a healing path from the influence of patriarchy on women. So ritual has been created from women for other women. And uh, so that is what is like my spiritual path in the craft. But with that comes also the green witchcraft. So I'm an esoteric herbalist. So esoteric herbalism, plant alchemy, working with plants. That is like the theme of my life because like I'm a garden designer. And uh, so I study plant from a university point of view. And uh, so I started to study plant from like a um, vibrational and magical point of view since then. Is a kind of shamanic, like use shamanic techniques to enter in contact with the spirit of plants, with, with plant consciousness, and after use this mainly for healing people and you can use for the land as well. It's very radical yes. and it's very threatening to the way we live our lives because what the goddess really is, is a, you could say, a metaphoric shorthand for saying, hey, this earth that we live on is alive mm -hmm. and all of us are part of it. Mm -hmm. All of it is interconnected. Um, when we talk about the four elements being sacred, as we do mm -hmm. a lot in the goddess traditions, you know, we're saying air, fire, water, and earth are sacred. What that really means is that these are the things that should determine our values, that should determine the value of everything else. And if we took that seriously, you know, if we took seriously that the air was sacred, it would mean anything that destroys the air cannot be done, you know. to communicate with plants from a consciousness point of view for like a being sentient being with his own characteristic and uh, through this connection which mainly is created through breath work and uh, heart connection or sound resonance and senses so we use all the senses and uh, you get information from the plant or what you want to share with you how you want to work with you and after you can use to like share this medicine with other people through treatment, through like uh, creating like medicine, vibrational medicine, like for example, I make flower essence. And basically in some principle are, for example, of the practice that are used into the plant spirit healing system, let's call this, because of course it's not like a spirituality, it's a practice, it's a system. And there are, for example, like you can do soul retrieval, to recover pieces of the soul that have been lost through plant allies. 
there are plants that are specific of some kind of specific or other works or you can work on uh, cleansing clearing so chakra work and alignment and uh, extraction of like intrusive energy you can also work on the possession using plant spirit so as a lot of like practice that you can find on traditional shamanism so let's say that that is a sort of shamanic path which work with plants consciousness and plant spirit working with plants from another point of view where also i deepening my knowledge to work with healing gardens so there is also there a healing like uh, element because like uh, therapeutic garden therapeutic landscape which works specifically with shapes colors so chromotherapy aromatherapy they can be simple like a place where you can go and heal from stress and anxiety through the contact with nature to places that has been created to be like of support of traditional medicine and recovery indeed you often find healing garden or therapeutic landscapes uh, in um, care center hospitals there are in usa you can find a lot of, of these places natural therapies natural healing spiritual healing uh, the use of natural substances like herbs in therapies these are all skills which were practiced by folk magicians in the old days uh, and these are people whom those who didn't actually resort to them often called witches so in that sense there's a direct link between witchcraft and alternative therapies someone you can perform a spell on the person or concerning the person and if we have knowledge for example quantum physics is basically magic so two particles that enter in contact after if you place them far 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 away they acting in one you can see the consequences in the other particle that is far between like space and time i think that witchcraft use science so for me they are they are the same thing and let's say that uh, science is a way to explain energy phenomena in a way that can be understood and maybe even accept. M magic is just an intuitive way to work with the energy, but we do the same things, basically.
conditions were readily and joyfully accepted. Thus the Lady of the Lake became engaged to the young man, and having loosed her hand for a moment, she darted away and dived into the lake. The grief of the lover at this disappearance of his affianced was such that he determined to cast himself headlong into its unfathomed depths and thus end his life. As he was on the point of committing this rash act, there emerged out of the lake two most beautiful ladies, accompanied by a hoary-headed man of noble mien and extraordinary stature, but having otherwise all the force and strength of youth. This man addressed the youth, saying that, as he proposed to marry one of his daughters, he consented to the union, provided the young man could distinguish which of the two ladies before him was the object of his affections. This was no easy task, as the maidens were perfect counterparts of each other. Whilst the young man narrowly scanned the two ladies and failed to perceive the least difference betwixt the two, one of them thrust her foot a slight degree forward. The motion, simple as it was, did not escape the observation of the youth, and he discovered a trifling variation in the mode in which their sandals were tied. This at once put an end to the dilemma, for he had on previous occasions noticed the peculiarity of her shoe tie, and he boldly took hold of her hand. "'Thou hast chosen rightly,' said the father. "'Be to her a kind and faithful husband, and I will give her as a dowry as many sheep, cattle, goats and horses as she can count of each, without heaving or drawing in her breath. But remember that if you prove unkind to her at any time and strike her three times without a cause, she shall return to me and shall bring all stock with her. Such was the marriage settlement, to which the young man gladly assented, and the bride was desired to count the number of sheep she was to have. She immediately adopted the mode of counting by fives, thus, one, two, three, four, five, one, two, three, four, five, as many times as possible in rapid succession until her breath was exhausted. The same process of reckoning had to determine the number of goats, cattle and horses respectively, and in an instant the full number of each came out of the lake when called upon by the father. The young couple were then married and went to reside at a farm called Eskaya Leichtin in Mithwai, where they lived in prosperity and happiness for several years and became the parents of three beautiful sons.
I am your gut. A facsimile, in truth, but a sacred stand-in for seven meters of ancient hardware. I am your most magical organ, and know what you're thinking even before you do. Primitive intuition, all that is bodily automatic. I am constantly ticking away under the bonnet of your consciousness. I am the magician, transmuting and transforming a flow of energy as above, so below. The house of unseen microbiomes harboring the elements for vitality, creativity and awareness. As a sacrificial conduit, I am offered to the divine to bring about healing. An example of imitative magic, of sympathetic magic at work. So in the exhibition, I've got um, a, I borrowed a votive from the Museum of Witchcraft and it's a wax gut and it's um, in a plinth and it has a soundtrack and okay. I've written a, a statement as if the gut is talking okay. and I'm really interested in, or I, I feel that there's a huge parallel obviously in the sayings of gut instinct but also that the gut is your kind of second brain or more primitive brain yeah. um, and um, often mental health and the gut are very closely linked and now there's all this amazing science about the microbiomes and the organisms that can live inside your gut that can mm -hmm. help with mental health or degenerative disease and it's just so exciting mm -hmm. um, and the this idea in magic and um, the practicing um, practitioners of magic that I know talk about intuition yeah. and there's this talk about intuition all the time and people don't know how to be intuitive and they get asked all the time what does that mean how do you become intuitive what do you do and I often sort of think well that's um, being present and like you were just explaining this idea of being able to think about what it is that you want to attract or what it is that you are trying to change about yourself um, is there anything, what would be a good way to begin becoming intuitive for someone who maybe has come to the subject of witchcraft and is intrigued and doesn't know what it means or the idea of working with magic? Would intuition be the first step? And if it was, what could you do to promote that? I think that we all have intuition. Sometimes we just like have avoid to listen ourselves for so long that, of course, Ourself doesn't talk with us anymore <laughs> because is is how we work. And uh, I would say that the first thing is letting all the knowledge you have or that has been imposed, because intuition comes from a, a sense experience because it's connected with feelings. So you feel, and you are full of receptor receptor. Even our skin is full of receptor, so we can feel. And sometimes we use the the word I feel, like in is I feel so I know. There is a plant that works like very well with this. That is the from like of course um, plant spirit point of view for the experience I had, which is like Nigella Damascena, which you hear you call love in the mist. Love in the mist. Yes, is that to re yeah. So blue. It can be white. Can be blue. Is like and it's full of these leaves that looks like antennas and they ask these as my favorite flower. But anyway, talking, having a chat with with Nigella, I discovered that she's really helped you to just reconnect with your body, 
in order to know because you feel. So not through feeling and not through mind. Because intuition is just feel and after no knowledge, knowing comes from the feeling. And in order to do that, you need to shut down the mind, that's for sure. And start to just do experience of your senses. So I will like pass through each senses, okay? And each sense and just touch things, smell things. And what happened within yourself when you do that? Because the first thing is reconnect with the body. After maybe, if someone is more septic, I would say just write down everything comes in your mind about something. Sometimes it's a little voice. <laughs> to me, happen is a little voice. And uh, sometimes it can be louder. Sometimes it's just like, oh, I knew it. <laughs> it just, I knew, I talk to myself and these things up. Sometimes they're really creepy. But like, and, uh, and, but if intuition is feeling, okay? So the first thing is reconnect with your body, which is an, in part is a sort of rewilding yourself. So the contact with nature and like, uh, touch the hurt, work their food, uh, like is, is rewilding yourself is a, a way to re-enhance the intuition ability, in my opinion. People stay close to their folklore on the land if they have to work the land hard. Mm. In other words, the more commercialised farming is, the weaker the link. The more you have to labour on your land daily for your family croft or your valley farmhouse, the more you're inclined to believe that it's teeming with spirits and it has moods and you've got to keep on the right side of it. I think... Um, not directly in terms of, I never think about it in terms of witchcraft or having any, I suppose, like a genre connection. But mm. I do think that, the, I think that food is, um, is kind of the starting point for me for all culture. And I think you can really put most human behaviour comes back to some kind of need to eat um, or need for shelter. Um, and I can easily see how the maybe the objectives of um, kind of mystical ritual and things like that have the same objective. You know, maybe they're just trying to achieve the same things, but taking care of different element of it. Mm. But food, like cooking's transformative. I, it was only when I read I, these things have taken me a long time to be able to articulate, and I still can't articulate them properly. But the you know reading. Um, Michael Pollan's cookbook called Cooked it was the first time I ever real, like, realised linguistically that cooking is an act of transformation. Um, and then when you just boil it down to something that simple, mm. um, it does widen the scope of what cooking is and into fermentation or just kind of um, making any kind of change. And I suppose for me that was the beginning of my journey with small food and thinking about it much more holistically in terms of maybe the beginning of the cooking or the transformation being connected to the earth and to the soil um, instead of thinking about it from the point of view of when the ingredients arrive in the kitchen that's when you start cooking I don't think about it like that I think of it as a complete ecosystem and I imagine the end result that I want which is to do with flavour and mouthfeel and pleasure and maybe a social situation or a cultural situation that can be evoked by those things or, or those things could support 
Um, and then I'll work back in my mind right back to how something's grown or how something is obtained um, or processed before it comes to me. And I think there's a bit of something mystical about some of those processes because I don't fully understand them and that's where I see the connection. It's like mm. things I don't fully understand, there's a lot happening on microbial level in cooking that we can have intuitions about and I'm fully prepared to accept now after four years of being a baker and working with very, very natural ingredients that there's so much about our own body's intelligence that we don't know that's made up of microbes that responds to what we eat and what we feed it and I don't think I just don't think the connection's simple that's a bit of a waffly answer but um, maybe the connection is that the acceptance of kind of trying to do your best to steer a situation with respect to all of the elements that you don't know mm. um but still trying to achieve some kind of truth in what you're doing or to some kind of purity in what you're doing and trying not to upset those things that you don't know. And we do better. We're more rational when we acknowledge what we really can't control, when we acknowledge that the earth is bigger than we are, mm -hmm. um, that we can live in balance, we can live in harmony with it, we can learn to do that but we can't impose a kind of numerical order on something that has factors that go far beyond that. So I think mis mystery is a, a necessary corrective, you know, to our scientists, to um, our politicians and our political movements, because one of the things that always hampers political movements is people get stuck again saying, this is the answer. You know, and if you don't agree with my particular version of the answer and exactly the way I phrase it, you are bad and wrong and, you know, out of... Really, to me, politics, um, there's a definition of magic that a woman named Dionne Fortune coined, I think, back in the 20s. It says, magic is the art of changing consciousness at will. And I think that holds up very well also for political change. Now, when we're talking about the kinds of changes we need in our culture, we need vast changes in consciousness. And that can't be done by imposing it on people. national, I don't know, group of foragers, I can't remember, or association of foragers had spent a long time thinking about what it was that they were trying to achieve by promoting foraging and by trying to teach people about foraging. Um, and, and they were saying that they finally came up with the, the kind of slogan of restoring vital connections. And to me that's so, that was so 
profoundly succinct in terms of everything that we try to do in the kitchen um, and I think can be applied in every aspect of our culture whether it stems from food or the need for medicine or the need for um, shelter I feel like this kind of uh, political um, era that we're living in this kind of neoliberal sort of individualist kind of era has broken lots of vital connections and um, there is there is seemingly a bit of a resurgence in in our culture of people who are trying to restore those vital connections so it's like simple things like having trust in your palate is something that I identified early on when I decided to have a very public kitchen and kind of food um, enterprise and we've done all these kind of events where we've invited people in and we've been teaching people to cook and just simple acts like giving people food over the counter just to try if we've got a new ingredient that's just been brought in and giving it to children and just saying taste it it's not it's not a buying and selling transaction this is just just try it and this idea that you know just re-empowering people to trust their taste buds or just to learn to to think of their taste buds as a as something that needs to be developed because it's a survival mechanism um, instead of outsourcing all of that trust to big corporations on the basis that that's somehow more time efficient for us not to worry our little heads about it you know it's just um yeah that's such a kind of important point for me i think Witchcraft is two different things, really. It's uh, a bundle of images and associations, and it's uh, a craft, a technique, a set of practices. And so it's infinitely malleable. It can be made into a religion, it can be made into art, it can be made into therapy, it can be made into all sorts of things. And whereas a lot of traditional religions are rather uneasy with the idea of picking and mixing in personal belief, uh, modern paganism, the occult, are virtually designed for that.
most important thing you should know about real witches is this. Now listen very carefully. Real witches dress in ordinary clothes and look very much like ordinary women. They live in ordinary houses and they work in ordinary jobs. I think one of the reasons why people fear the word witch so much is that it brings up ideas about women's power. And for 5,000 years or longer, we have been propagandized, really, to fear women's power, to fear female power, to see it as something negative, something to be afraid of, something destructive, something evil. And naturally, we have all those associations that come up with the word witch. That's why, for me, it's important to use that word, to bring it up, to say, look, let's bring out into the light all of this stuff. Let's look at it clearly and realize we don't have to fear it. Modern Druidry is a nature-based spirituality or religion which looks for its models to the more positive images of the ancient uh, priesthood or priestesshood of northwestern Europe, including Britain, known to the Romans and the Greeks as Druids. One that I would say is that it's very simple but is maybe the most important ritual is what we call self-blessing, which is basically like bless yourself, your body, your and uh, have, you can do every day, you can do one time a week, you can do when you need. But it's this acknowledge of the, that you are a reflection of the divine, that you are divine, that, and so that also for some people that you worth love without, because you already are love, no? So, uh, so that I would say is the most important, recognize the, that you are sacred, because when you can do with yourself, and you know that another person is like you, is a reflection. So if I'm sacred, you are sacred. So this opens the door to respect as well for everyone and everything. So that I would say that is a simple ritual with like blessing line for each part of your body, and you can do with candles and a mirror and uh, some oil anointing hall where you touch part of the body and you bless and you recognize this that the divine is within yourself that you are 
part of the divine that you are divine and that is what i believe to be one not the most if not the most important ritual in my tradition Wicca emerges in the 1950s, it's certainly there at least 10 years before. The lead 